The title of what I want to share with you this morning is called Coming Out of the Valley. <laughs> Coming Out of the Valley. Has anyone been in the valley? Okay. Because uh, I feel like for the last two or three years I've been in the valley. And something of what I want to share to you, with you this morning is, is the process of God in my own life. And um, this week has been an amazing week for me personally. Just God speaking to me and, and uh, encouraging me, refreshing me. And then time we had yesterday away with the guys really was, was a wonderful time. And all these things just knit together in terms of God's process in our lives. But Psalm 23, you know it well. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by, beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, I thank you for your words. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would come. I thank you that you are the great comforter that Adrian has testified to this morning. Thank you that you're the source of all truth. I thank you that you know every detail of our lives. Those of us that arrived this morning, encouraged and refreshed. Those that are arrived this morning, perhaps distracted and a little despondent. You know exactly where we are. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the God of the valley. You are with us when we are in that place. But I thank you at the same time, that you are the God that leads us out of the valley. And your hand is always underneath us, underpinning us. And when we look back, we can see your mercy has always been upholding us. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, as I preach this morning, that I communicate my heart effectively to this community, wonderful, wonderful saints that you've gathered here at this church. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I was chatting this week with Petri, and um, we had a, just an amazing time of prayer with the staff, um, and I, I'm just going to call it the staff meeting from now on, because I don't know what else to call it, but we, um, we pray every Thursday morning, and we had this amazing time of prayer, and God just spoke to us wonderfully about a number of things. But one of the things I was chatting with Petri about, he said a very profound thing to me. I thought it was profound. He said this, I met Jesus at an early age, but when I turned 40, I met Petri. Now that, that, that's a profound thing for me. And I began to think of my own life, and especially the last two or three years, because when, when you're in your 20s, you're kind of young, full of energy, full of life. The world is your oyster. You get on with it. You forge a career. You are seeking a bride, and you kind of, it's all very exciting, and you kind of like, you have this time in your life. You're studying. There's no real kind of, no real kind of, pressure on your life at all, as much as students think that there is great pressure when you have to have three essays in in one week. And you kind of get to the end of your 20s and uh, you're in your early 30s and kind of you might start having a family, your career starts taking off, 
Um, you start to make a little bit of money. It's kind of like this real sense of satisfaction in your life. And by the end of your 30s, when you get into your 40s, suddenly something happens. And I know they call it a classic midlife crisis, but I've gone through that in the last six years consistently. <laughs> and you start to ask some things, and there are some, some things that you got away with in your 20s and 30s that you can no longer get away with in your 40s. Because actually, when you're 20, you can excuse it and say, well, it's just because I'm young, I'm still learning. But by the time you're 40, there are some things that you expect yourself to have learned. And I'll make myself clear. And there are some things that you can't tolerate anymore because you hit the reality of, actually, I've got another 40 years ahead of my life. I can't carry on living like this. Uh, something's got to change. And then we look into the face of God, and He says, I'm the constant, constant I am. I never change, and you will change. And there's this process that begins to evolve in your life. And I found it took me right down into the valley. And I, I've been dealing with it for a number of years. And I, I have to say this to you, and this is my confession this morning, that when I'm honest and I look myself in the mirror, I have to say that I'm a pessimist. I'm not an optimist. That's the, that's the reality of my life. I see the glass half empty, not half full. Uh, I've had to apologize to my children this week that sometimes the atmosphere in my home is not what it should be because of the inner turmoil of my own life, which begins to impact my wife and my family. I had to take my son out and say, Matt, I'm sorry. I've discovered I would like to be a man of the mountains, but actually, I'm a valley man. Winston Churchill, Winston Churchill said, <clears throat> that often, the black dog would come on him. These moments of depression that just come on you and you don't know why they're there. I've lived in those places in the last three years where I just say, I don't know what's going on. God, what is going on? Why am I feeling like this? And I mean, I've preached so often Paul and Silas <laughs> at midnight in the jail, Paul and Silas. They're singing with joy because of what's in their hearts. I've, I've, I believe it's true. I've preached it many, many times over. That that should be the attitude of our heart. And yet I found that I'm more stoical than I thought I was. <laughs> I am a guy who just keeps going. Just put on the stiff upper lip and just keep going. <laughs> well... It's not a way of faith. I don't want my kids to grow up in an atmosphere where it's just keep going. Anyone there? I don't want that. And so I want to ask you this morning, when you look at yourself, what do you see? Honestly, in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see a mountaintop man? Are you really a valley person? I my, the point of what I'm saying this morning is that God takes us out of the valley. My testimony this morning is that I'm no longer in the valley, but God is taking me out of the valley. 
And there are three things that God spoke to me this week uh, for, actually. And the first is, as I've just looked in my own life and reflected over the last while, the first is this. Revelation verse 319 simply says this. It says, be zealous. <laughs> be zealous. It's a beautiful word, that old-fashioned uh, biblical word. Be zealous. And something that I've lost in the last two years is my zeal. My zeal. And in all of this sifting and whatever's happened in the last while, something of my zeal has begun to drain away. How many of you would love this place to be filled with people that are not saved? I would. How many of you would love to see the kingdom come more fully in your life? How many of you would testify and say, we want to see Jesus lifted high in this place? And I, I think we would all agree, but for, for that to, to happen, there has to be zeal. Because the Bible says, the zeal of the Lord accomplishes things. And I've, 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 I've had to say, well, there's knowledge, and knowledge is good. There's patience and courage, and all these things need to be uh, in our lives. And the, the foundation of everything is the grace of God. Amen? But the point of the arrow is zeal. And we can add to our knowledge, and we can grow, and we can learn, and we can study, and we can be talented, and we don't want to despise our talents, but at the end of the day, what accomplishes anything in the kingdom is the zeal of the Lord. And this is what I've discovered, that the zeal of the Lord, as we've been preaching about inside-out things, the zeal of the Lord is from the inside out. I've discovered this, as my prayer life dwindles, as the inner beating of my heart for the things of the kingdom dwindles and grows small, so does my passion, so does my zeal, and something in you dies. Something in me dies. But inwardly, if we are strong, if we are being renewed day by day, if there is that evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives daily, there will be a compassion for the world. There will be a love for him, for his kingdom. There will be a love for his people. To see the kingdom come in, in every person's heart and every community. So I've been asking myself, well, what builds zeal? And uh, here are some things that God spoke to me. The first is a grateful heart. <laughs> a grateful heart. When we look back and we see the pit from which we have come. I've just had Psalm 40 going around in my heart for days and days and days. You lifted me out of the miry pit. You lifted me out of the clay. And you set my feet on solid rock. And there's a new song in my mouth. A grateful heart enables you to see things from a different perspective. I thank God with all of my heart for every single thing that has happened to me. The good things and the bad. Those things I've enjoyed. Those things I've had, because all of those things have brought me to where I am now, that I can come to this point and say, Lord, I recognize something about myself that you want to change. Secondly, I want to look at that a uh, little bit more in detail later, but secondly, what encourages zeal is living with eternity in mind. Living with eternity in mind. Surely when we glimpse heaven, surely when we glimpse something of the kingdom, and the love that God has for people, and the love that He has for His sons, surely when we glimpse that, something of our earthly life now is transformed. We can't slumber when we are living with eternity in our hearts. 
that surely is what feeds zeal in our lives. And I want to encourage you, there's so many good sermons that have been preached from this pulpit. Go and listen over the last six weeks to what's been preached from this pulpit. And I haven't, don't, I'm not, it's not an advert for me. Nick preached an amazing sermon about the garden. Go and listen to it. Helen preached an outstanding uh, encouragement out of living with eternity in mind. Go and listen. Let God encourage you. I thought about Abraham. He lived with eternity in his heart. The scripture says in the Hebrews 11 that he was living for a heavenly city. He was living for something that he could not see. He was living all of his life with this, this revelation on the inside of him which belonged in eternity. It was not temporal. It was not for now. And he lived a life of faith. And he put his trust in what he could not see. I want to encourage you this morning that you put some time aside and just let God speak to you in terms of eternity. That we're not living for now. We're not living just as everyone else lives for the here and now to get a fat pension and a yacht in the Mediterranean and to be successful and perhaps have a book written that makes us a lot of money. Whatever your thing is and to die one day and just says on our graves, here lies a good man. And surely our zeal is exemplified in Christ. I love the passion. We watched the passion the other night in the evening meeting, 20 minutes of it. It killed me. I wept. I mean, for all what Mel Gibson has done, he's got that scene pretty, pretty right. And you see what Jesus went through on the cross and your little selfish things just pale into, into I wept. Surely the example of Jesus transfixed on the cross, knowing that that, he was, that was his destiny, knowing that he had to go there, knowing what the pain was coming, he did not flinch. He did not flinch one moment. He walked through that destiny for his life, and we are free because of what he brought for us and brought for us on the cross. Amen. Zeal. Secondly, I thought God speak to me about being desperate. About being desperate. Let's ask for what we do not have. If you don't feel desperate this morning, well, <laughs> ask for some desperation in your heart. You know what I've, I've, I've found about myself? There are things that I long for, things that I desire, things that I yearn for, and those are all good things. But it's only when you come to a place of desperation that you will ask for them. And quite frankly, it's like sometimes things are bad, but they're not yet bad enough. So we go through our marriage, and it's bad. It's not what it should be. It's not intimate. It's not sweet. Our sex lives are, are like once a month after fish on a Friday, and we are just like happy with this kind of mediocrity in our lives. And yet it's still not bad enough, because we're still not desperate enough to ask, God, change me. And we just mediocre ourselves through our lives. And we're just happy with the mundane and the ordinary, and God has so much more for us. Are you desperate this morning? Uh, uh, when you ask, you will receive. But there has to be such, some desperation in your heart to say, God, I'm so desperate. If you don't come for me, through for me, I'm absolutely finished. That's the unfortunate story of the Israelites going through 
their journey, isn't it? They spoke to everybody else except to God. They complained to their neighbors. They complained to their husbands and their wives and their, and their cries turned to complaints and ultimately they died in the desert when God wanted to release something infinitely more wonderful to them. But they didn't cry out to Him. They cried out to everybody else. Where's your cry being lifted to this morning? Your husband, your wife, your friends, your neighbor. Oh, just, things are just so bad, just so bad, just so bad. Or you're crying out to him. In James 1 verse 5, we know it well. It says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And God will give generously to us. I love Luke eleven thirteen. 13. It puts it in perspective. It says, the person we go to first is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we need more of you. We need more of you. I cannot do this. I cannot wife my husband, wife my husband, husband my wife. I cannot father my children. I cannot manage all these balls that are juggling. And that for me was the beauty of, of yesterday with some of the guys. There was a moment where guys were just saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. Well, good that you say you can't do it because when you ask for him to come and help you, then he will start doing some things in your life. And I'm saying that out of my own journey. Luke eleven thirteen. if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? My friends, you and I need the Holy Spirit more and more and more. Can I just say this to you? I said to the guys, I mean, we've been banging on about this, about not living by the rules. You know why? Because the rules are just so clumsy. They don't work. You can do all the things that the rules say. It doesn't work. Your wife needs more from you than the rules. She needs more from you. She needs your heart. That is what she wants. She wants that openness, the intimacy from you, not just doing the right thing, not just providing the money. That's good. Provide the money. Clothe your kids. Have a good house. But she wants you. You know what I've come to place in my, in my life saying, Helen has said that to me for years. I have to say, I'm, I'm bankrupt. I can't give it. Except the Holy Spirit comes and changes me. Are you desperate enough to ask? Point of 11, Luke 11, 10 for me is this. It says, everyone who asks receives. I don't, admit, I don't believe that that means that you just won't get unless you ask, but it means until you come to that point of desperation, of actually verbalizing, actually humbling yourself and say, God, this I am desperate for, you won't receive it. And I think a more accurate translation of Matthew 5 verse 3 should be, blessed are the paupers, for they will inherit the kingdom. Blessed are the paupers. Those who are, when you stand on the street corner and there's someone begging, they've thrown aside all their dignity. They are desperate for what you can give them. And until that is in our hearts, in terms of the kingdom, blessed are the paupers, for they will receive and inherit the kingdom. I want to say this. This is not a rebuke. This is out of my own journey. Prayer, a lack of prayer in your life and in my life, a lack of prayer corporately is a sign of one thing. The sign of self-sufficiency, that we are saying, actually, God, we don't need you. We can do this on our own. I'm not desperate. 
If I was desperate, I would be praying and asking you with all of my heart, but actually I'm not. It's too much of a hassle to get up on a Tuesday morning to pray with the other guys. I'm not desperate enough for you in my life. If that feels like a rebuke to you, then so be it. But I'm just speaking out of my own life that God has said to me this week. Are you desperate enough? Are you desperate enough for my kingdom that you'll come and pray with my people? Thirdly, be thankful. <laughs> be thankful. I've said already that I'm, a, I'm prone to give into the, the one, the glass half full, not the glass empty. But surely our lives, surely a sign of health in our lives is that we are not so consumed with ourselves and our own problems. And I was rebuked by God this week through a friend. <laughs> I'm, I'm too concerned with my life, my problems, my valleys, this church, what needs to change. Not concerned enough with Christ. Surely it's true. Yes, we do go through valleys. But surely we have a deliverer who has taken us out of the valleys, who takes us out of the valleys. Surely there are issues of sin in our life, and we all have our challenges, but surely this is the truth also, that we have an all-sufficient Savior in Jesus. Surely that's true. And surely when we look back, we will see that actually the hand of God, the mercy of God has underpinned us in our lives and has taken us through those valleys. And surely a sign of a healthy life, a healthy soul, is one that is thankful. (laughs) Saying, so thank you, God. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you, yes, I was in the valley, but you've taken me out. I thank you for my wife. I thank you that I'm fortunate enough to have her, that you've blessed me. Thank you for my children. Yes, Lord, I don't have the job that I want, but I'm so thankful that in this time of recession, I have a job. Thank you that... Which says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And you're going to say this is too simple. This is simple. Think about these things. And what you have learned and what you have received and seen in me, practice these things. And look at this beautiful promise. And the God of peace will be with you. That is spiritual warfare. My friends, that, can you hear me? We have been taught that spiritual warfare is binding all the demons and binding the devil. Well, you can't bind the devil because he hasn't been bound. God hasn't even bound him yet. You can stand in front of your mirror and put on your armor every day. It's of no use to you. None. That is not spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is this, taking captive every thought that elevates itself above the name of Jesus. When we read this portion, whatever is pure and lovely and dwelling on those things, it's not just talking about sexual purity. It's talking about this. When you feel the moment that you want to give in to fear, in that moment you resist by the grace of God. You say, I won't give in. When the moment you feel like you're going to be dragged down into that pit of depression by the Spirit, right then you resist. You say, I refuse to give into that in Jesus' name. By the grace of God that is upon my life, and I will resist that thing. When you feel to give in to speak badly about someone, 
At that moment, you seal your lips by the grace of God that is in you, and you say, I will resist. That is spiritual warfare. You see, I want to say this, and I say to myself, stop making excuses. You know what we all have to do? And I've done this myself. When someone says something that you deflect it off, that's not my problem. Not my problem. No, it's actually my, you know, it's just I, 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 I'm under pressure at work. I, I'm not really like this. It's just I'm under pressure. <laughs> no, it's not. It's that you really like that. You know, the Bible, we were joking on Thursday. The Bible says, do not be irritable. Let's translate it in one word. Do not be grumpy. Guys, it says, do not be grumpy. There's no comma that says, except after you've had a hard week at work and you're feeling tired, then you can, there's a license to be grumpy. Ah, ah, ah. Do not be grumpy. Whether you are tired or full of energy, do not be grumpy. Now, we like to excuse it and deflect it and say it's all other things. Actually, it's not. It's just the wickedness and the sin in our own hearts. Take, take captive every thought in submission to Christ. The temptation to feel sorry for yourself. <laughs> How many of you ever felt sorry for yourself? I'm putting up both hands, ten fingers. Feeling so, oh God, oh, woe is me. My life is so hard. No one loves me. Where are my friends? Oh God, I've lost all my friends. No, one no stop, stop feeling sorry for yourself. By the grace of God, in that moment, resist it. So what I'm saying is learning to warfare is learning to be disciplined in our minds. In our minds, taking captive every thought. God wants to encourage in us a discipline. Are there thoughts in your life that are producing death? When you think them, do you feel encouraged or discouraged? If there are thoughts in your life that are producing death in you, they are not from the Holy Spirit, they are from the devil. Resist them. All right? Resist them. And the scripture says, if you resist the devil, he has to flee. So resist him and his demons, all his discouragement that will come upon you. Resist. And whatever is pure and noble and lovely, give in to those things. Think on them and they will bring peace into your life. So my friends, maybe you feel like you've been in a valley of dry bones. Well, I've, I've felt that for a while, just like in Ezekiel's vision. But my encouragement this morning is God wants to bring us out of that place of dry bones. He wants to breathe life into those bones. And perhaps there are some things he wants us to leave in the valley. There are some things that need to die. Don't try and resurrect those bones, all right? You know there are some things that God doesn't want to resurrect in your life. Leave them. Don't kind of encourage them to come back to life, all right? Prophesy over the right things. We were, as I said at this prayer time, as we were praying, there's a scripture that says this unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can produce no life. And I've tried to help this morning to plant some seeds of zeal, plant some seeds of thankfulness and those things for all of us. But can I ask you, can you let the sword go through your own heart this morning? Can you, can you do that? Can you not deflect it away and say it's somebody else's problem? Can you just look at the cross and say, as I started with that scripture, Lord, this is my problem. I embrace it. I need to change. 
One thing Michael Jackson did get right, he wrote a song called Man in the Mirror. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. The power of that prophetic word was this, that for many of us is a bungee cord tied to the seed. And it falls from heaven, and it comes down, and just as it touches the ground, the bungee cord rips it up again, and it doesn't quite take root. And Nick put it like this, private ambition, financial fear, cultural norms form a braided cord that is attached to that ear of wheat, allowing it, fall to, allowing it to fall close to the ground, but never to die in the soil of the kingdom. And then it never produces life, it never produces fruit. My friends, I'm asking you this morning to let the seed die. If there's anything that's been shared this morning that you know is from God, don't harden your heart. Don't let your soil be rocky. Don't let the cares of this world crush it out. Let it take root. That can produce fruit.